you're either very smart or very simple. My name is Matthew Kroll. And if I was smart, why am I in jail? My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film A Hero. You know, a hero lives inside all of us. You know, I can be your hero baby. Yeah, true, you could be. We could, we could all be heroes. Just for one Just day. For one day. <laughs> well, that's been the show, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, it only goes downhill from here. Pretty much. That was smooth as fuck. <laughs> well, until you called it out, of course. No, that, that's the smoothest move you can do. That's, that shows the, the purest of confidence, be it ill-placed or no. I will preface this episode, as I always do. It's going to be a little while before we get to the movie because we're going to play a little bit of catch-up. We've been very lucky to have a lot of guests on the show recently. Uh, Patrick Willems, Melissa London Helfers, Josh uh, Horowitz. Uh, am I missing anyone just before? Foreign. We... What's that? Foreign. Oh, and Foreign in a Foreign Land just last week. Tried... I, I just feel like that episode was just this week. It was. We, it did, was we just literally just recorded. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to do, we, uh, we have not, unfortunately, caught up with a bunch of our emails, which we're going to do in this episode. We're also going to talk about the thing that happened this week, uh, just yesterday, which was the Oscar nominations, as we have want to do. We'll just kind of uh, go through those very quickly as well. For, for those of you who wanted our hot takes, our hot, 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 hot hot sizzling okay. pancakes I'm, I'm going to tell you how hot of a take I have I haven't even looked at them yet I know. so we're going to we're going to be I, I, we're going to be discovering them together in real time I I actually figured that was the case with you and to be honest with you <laughs> like I woke up and like the it was I I jumped on Twitter and I saw that the Oscars had announced and I was like okay cool what do we got here and I looked at the list and I was like okay cool and everyone seemed to be up in arms about certain things and angry about things and I was like it's cool, you know. Oh wow, people angry right now? That's of so strange. Yeah, people are angry. I couldn't imagine that folks are upset about anything. Everything's going so well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but stick around because we are going to be talking about one of my favorite filmmakers of all time, Asghar Fahadi, and his new film, A Hero, which is streaming now on Amazon Prime. I, uh, Matt, I'll just you know like say it up top. I was, I am so excited to talk about this movie. I am uh, too. It was, it was. A, I, I, I have. A lot to say, mostly, actually all good, but like in a weird way. I, I That's my tease. You got weird good coming at you. I have weird good coming. Okay, let's yeah. get into some chaotic bad. Okay, uh, well, now we we're do, getting into D&D &D &D alignments. What you want to do? Which, where should we go? Let's do the, the, the chaotic good option of Oscars. Oscars first. Okay. The Oscars were announced this week. Obviously, they're coming in uh, in March. We uh, always try to see every Oscar movie before uh, the actual ceremony so that we can have a conversation about the Oscars. As you, as you, if you've listened to the show, you know that while the Oscars are certainly an important moment, um, certainly in the in the American release cycle, uh, the Oscars signify a, uh, a certainly an award end run towards the year and then a reset after that. So they tend to signify a lot. Uh, whether those um, significations actually mean anything is up for debate, and we kind of have that debate every year. Sure. Uh, regardless, but let's just uh, let's uh, let's just run through a couple of these. Um, I this is the one that interests me the most uh, is the internet international feature film uh, category this year, mainly because a film that is in the uh, international feature film category is also in the best picture category, um, and potentially one, a, a lot of people's favorite films are in the international film feature category, but uh, the nominees for international feature film are The Worst Person in the World, good title, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the new Joaquin uh, Trier film uh, from Norway. Uh, Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom, which is a film I know very little about. It's uh, the best title out of all these. I'll tell you that definitely. right now. Uh, I mean, you, could, you didn't think you could do better than The Worst Person in the World. I, no. I've heard so much good things about The Worst Person in the World, by the way. Like, everyone who's seen that loves that I movie. believe Patrick was telling me, too, that yeah. that was just uh, a, a great delight. Um, Paolo Sorrentino is The Hand of God. Flea, which was also nominated for Best Animated Feature and has been highly recommended uh, to us by listeners on this show. And then the film that everyone's talking about is Reisuke Hamaguchi's film uh, Drive My Car, which has also been nominated for Best Picture. And the thing that's challenging for me is that uh, these films are hard to see at some point. I, I mean, not hard to see in that they are playing in theaters, but for me, going to the theater is still a little bit, but it's coming down now. And I kind of feel like these are probably movies where I could probably feel comfortable in the theater at this point. Um, but The Hand of God is streaming, Flea is streaming, The Worst Person in the World is not streaming, and Lunane, uh, A Yak in the Classroom, uh, I don't know if streaming or not. Matt, any thoughts on any of those? Are you excited to see I haven't Drive seen, My Car? I am excited to see Drive My Car. I haven't seen any of them, but I'm more excited, I think, to see The Worst Person in the World. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, with uh, Lunana A Yak in the Classroom, I am, I'm, I, I don't know. that the, You want to talk about titles that got me? Here you go. <laughs> you win. You uh, win, Lunana. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of like sort of like I'm just sort of going through this list unless you have specific things you want to talk about, because like, I mean, it's funny. I I always go to visual effects because that tends to be the films that I gravitate towards are kind of living there and they're all there. Dune, Free Guy, No Time to Die, Shang-Chi and Spider-Man. I have only seen Dune, Free Guy and Shang-Chi. And I would give it to Dune in a heartbeat. I would say Dune a hundred percent. I want to. I want to say Spider Man. I think was the best looking Spider Man film. Like it. It was all CG garbage, but it was beautiful CG garbage. But that's like what this category it, is right. Like the yeah, it's be- that should just rename it that. CG, um, CG garbage. Beautiful. You are the most hottest CG garbage. I don't know beautiful what that, CG was, garbage. By the way, um, <laughs> uh, editing. I'm always interested in. Don't look up. I still need to see Dune. King Richard. Power of the Dog. Tick tick boom. <laughs> What is Tick Tick Boom? Oh, you don't know Tick Tick Boom? The oh yeah, I want to see one that. Spider Man. Yeah, one of the Spider Man. I do want to see that very much. Um, uh, I'm I'm so behind, man. We do this podcast, and I feel like I'm a I'm a bad moviegoer. I just we we have the one film we watch a week, and that's all I've had time to do. Gotcha. Um, but you uh, are up to date on the Spider Man, which I am not. So there you sh- go. I mean, sure, but this is me we're talking about. <laughs> um, um, uh, who else? Couple of little things here: uh, directing Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Branagh for Bla- uh, Belfast, Rizik Hamaguchi for Drive My Car, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, Jane Campion, The Power of the Dog, and Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. I think the the one that everyone's kind of upset about here is that uh, Denis Villeneuve was not nominated for directing. Uh, but then the weirdly positive but also terrible story is Jane Campion is the first female director to be nominated twice for an Academy Award. Amazing because she's awesome, New Zealand filmmaker. She's breaking so many barriers. Terrible what a wonderful, like, terrible circumstance. Yeah, 2022, and there's only one filmmaker, female filmmaker that has been nominated for Best Director tw- uh, you know, twice, where yeah. Steven Spielberg is on this list, Paul Thomas Anderson is on this list. I believe, I'm not sure if Kent Brown has ever been nominated for Best Director. He may have. I, I, I could be wrong about that. Yeah. Um, but th- that's a lot of uh, uh, fun right there. Um, and then this one I really want to shout out because this is a friend of mine has been nominated for Best Documentary Feature. Nice! Um, which I'm very excited about, and that is Jessica Kingdon for the film Ascension uh, about the Chinese economy, uh, alongside Attica, Flea, documentary feature, Flea. Actually, sorry, did, it, did that appear in animated feature? It did. 
It did. So Flea appeared as a documentary and animated feature, and and it didn't appear in Best Picture. So there you go. Um, <laughs> Summer of Soul, uh, When the Revolution began, the, the Quest Love film, and Riding with Fire. Uh, again, uh, big shout out to Jessica Kingdon for Ascension. Uh, amazing film, by the way. Uh, she is. Uh, she and I are both members of the Brooklyn Filmmakers Collective, uh, and uh, it, you know it is a staggering film. Um, so I'm looking it, forward to seeing that. I'd yeah. heard good things even before I knew uh, you were friends with her. And uh, and then Best Picture. This I guess maybe this is the most relevant to us because these are the films. If we were to keep up with that tradition of trying to do every film before the Best Picture uh, before the Oscars rolls out, this is what we'd have to fill. And and I, I will say this year we are actually quite behind on this list. We are. We're very wow. very behind. Wow. Uh, so the, the nominees first... are yeah Belfast. Coda, which came out like at the middle of last year, and I've been—I I have mentioned it because it's on streaming on Apple TV. Came out of Sundance with a lot of uh, a lot of buzz. Everyone seemed to like it, and has now earned a Best Picture nominee. I think we definitely should do that one. I mean, look, we should do all of these probably. Don't look up the Adam McKay vehicle, which is divisive at best. Uh, Drive my car, the uh, the Hamaguchi film that we've been talking about. Dune, which we have done. King Richard, which I have seen. Licorice Pizza, which I have not. Nightmare Alley, which is now streaming, The Power of Dog, which of the Dog, which we have done, and West Side Story, which we've also done. Okay, so I have an idea that I'm going to pitch you right now live on the air, on this recorded airwave we're doing this very moment. I'm going to guess what that idea is. That The idea is we do one episode on all ten. I knew that was the idea. <laughs> that was the idea. Because, I, I, I mean, it would be hard. But it might be an, an interesting sort of look, especially like, because what have we seen out of these? We've seen Power of the Dog, West Side Story, and Dune. Uh, yes. So we need to watch seven films. <laughs> we and we here's here's the thing. Check this out. What if we did this? What if we limited the conversation? To ten, like it's a primer for the Oscars for everybody. Like we limit the conversation to ten minutes a pop. I, you know what? I I I don't dislike the idea. So when is when are the Oscars airing? That's an excellent question. I actually don't know. I think it's in March sometime. <laughs> do, do you, is this what you come here for, listeners? Us planning our show? Oscar whilst, ceremony. When is the Oscars? That's, whilst, a, that's a great question. Um, whilst uh, on March 27th in the Dolby Theater. Okay. okay. So it's a month and a half away. If we could get an episode out before the week before March 27th, that might be that might be worthwhile. I don't know. I, I, I could see that happening. And like you know, I, what I like about that is that we could devote, like we could devote time to Jessica Kingdon's film uh, Ascension as well. Like we could devote a whole episode to that, or some you know some other stuff as well. Yeah. So, this, but this that way good. we don't have to be bogged down with episodes, and we also have to, we also have to get into our year in review of the reviews yeah, of the year. Yeah, we got to do that at some point as well. Um, <laughs> oh god! And we're gonna catch up with some emails. Maybe uh, should we start a Patreon so we can do this? <laughs> maybe, maybe we should. Just okay, real quickly. I know it's really hard because we've only seen one, two, three of the uh-huh, uh-huh. ten movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're batting really low here. Uh, I'll ask you two questions: of the three yes. that we've seen, which do you pick for best picture? That I want to win, or that I think will win? Uh, ooh, are, th- are those two different things? Oh, very much so. Okay, what do you what do you want to win? I want Dune to win. Okay, what do you think will win? West Side Story. Oof, okay. Uh, now, out of the ones I've seen, yeah. if I had to blindly guess... I don't think West Side Story is winning this picture. No? Nah. Do you, think think so. the, you think Power of the Dog's winning? I think Power of the, Do- Power of the Dog has the most nominations, got the most critical acclaim. To me, it's really, like, again, I haven't, I, I've only, the only other one I've seen on this list is King Richard. Um, and between the ones I've seen, I, I don't know how much Drive My Car can, like, actually go over the line, but that is a movie that is generating a lot of buzz i don't want to over like i'm trying not yeah, to overhype, overhype it in my it. Yeah, head yeah, yeah, yeah. um but but that is the movie that kind of is 
coming up in this conversation quite a lot. Um, uh, of the three that we've seen, for me, it's the power of the dog. And, and I also think that's the one that will probably win, if not drive my car. I think Zoe agrees. I don't know if you can hear the power of the cat <laughs> in the background, but I think that's that's the case. Anyway, it should be uh, an interesting Oscars. Yeah. I did not watch last year. I don't know if I will watch this year, but I like, you know what I like, Sheer, yeah. more than anything about the Oscars? I like lists. <laughs> there you go. And uh, this is a nice uh, goal. So hopefully we'll try to get that episode to you. And if not, I will come on here and and apologize and move on with my life. You should bring a Herzog it <laughs> and eat your shoe. The, you know, no. Werner Herzog said Is, a bit with I, Oh, mark. I know, I know. Yeah. But I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> Why not? You got you to gotta leave the shoes or something? Because how am I supposed to answer these lovely emails she hear with the shoe in my mouth? Uh, fair point, fair point. All right. All right. Should we get into some emails? We've been yes. holding these off for quite a while now. Uh, thank you, everyone, to email us in at uh, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. These are some of, some of these, I will be honest, I've read through them. Some of these, I, I, we don't have answers to. These, we just don't. <laughs> uh, I'm going to counter, and I haven't read them, and I'm going to say we 100% have, like, have answers, answers yeah. for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, all right, all right. here we go. Stephen Buja writes us in, uh, hey, Steve. had another thought on Dune and its inherent and eventually deconstructed white savior narrative. This time, as seen through the second episode of The Book of Boba Fett. Which cribs from Dune so much that Villeneuve should maybe sue for copyright. It's a fantastic episode for sure. Certainly the best train robbery of any Star Wars media. And my question is mostly to Shahir, though as our resident guy from New Zealand. Timura Morrison's Boba Fett is captured and eventually helps to cat, uh, helps out the local indigenous type of Tuscan race. By the way, uh, is this a spoiler for Boba Fett? I haven't seen it. It is. It's a spoiler for Boba Fett uh, episode two, but like... That's episode two, right? It's also like, here's what I will say. It's not like... Oh my gosh, wow. Like, it's like, oh, this is a thing that's happening. This isn't like plot moving forward. Like, I don't know. Okay. It, it, minor spoilers for Boba Fett, Book of Boba Fett, episode two. Okay. Uh, Morrison is uh, Maori and was raised in the culture. However, given the sci-fi world of the uh, Star Wars universe, uh, the primitive raiders, e.g., they don't, uh, they say they don't have machines, and that Boba comes from a much more civilized part of the galaxy with hyperdrives, guns, etc. And though Morrison is a non-white man, um, can we call what Boba is doing the white savior narrative? I ask because in this context, is white simply a coded term to mean more civilized, as Europeans often claim themselves, with better technology, etc.? Or is it simply impossible for anyone of non European ancestry to form the trope of advanced outsider learning and teaching from a more primitive culture? Or is it a matter of skin color or not anyone's cultural background or some mix of the two? Matt, I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna throw it to you first j- only because have you seen the book of Boba Fett? I have. And I, I told you, even if this isn't true, that I have the answer. So I have to say something. OK, um, I think you can't call something a white savior trope if it's not a white savior. You can call it a savior trope. Now, there's I, I get the sort of and there's elements to the white savior trope in in stories where a more, you know, technologically advanced or air quotes civilized culture helps out a culture that is underdeveloped in said technology. But I think what we have to remember is and even if you think about this episode, the Tuscan, I can't believe we're talking about this in, in, in the framing of Boba Fett, but it works. Yeah. Um, the Tuscan Raiders teach Boba Fett a shit ton of stuff, too. Like he. He saves them from a train that is kind of like just shooting them for sport. 
Right. That's kind of what's going on. But, like, they rescue him from the desert and let him live there. Again, I see uh, the the Dune references, uh, mm. and I don't think uh, Denis Villeneuve should sue, uh, <laughs> should sue the Book of Boba Fett. Maybe the Herbert estate might, because that is very true, but it's like, you know, now, d- Correct me if I'm wrong. Are the Tuscan Raiders, are they the Uteri, Uteri with the... With uh, sand the, people. Oh, those, yeah. Is, is that there? That, not, not the Jawas. Not the Uteri. Not, oh. not the little ones. The big ones that go... Okay. Um, anyway, uh, so there's there's. It's funny in this particular case. I, I get where Steve is going. Can someone who is a non-white person be a white savior trope? No, that's just a savior trope. Like uh, I think the 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 proof is in the word. But I will say that in this particular episode of the Book of Boba Fett, which again is the last episode I have watched, and I think they've released six. Um, uh, Peacemaker is taking up any leisure time that I have. Uh, the the it I I feel like this is presented more while while yes he does prove a solution for one of their problems they also prove solutions for his problem this is I would call this a cultural exchange of ideas they teach him how to fight better without guns they they teach him how to live off the desert they take him there there is some othering I will say with like there's a a, a drug induced moment that they bring to him and that obviously has airs of uh you know you know, stereotypical, let's say, Native American or or outside of Western cultures. So, like, I get that. But you could call it a savior trope if you want, but he's not a white dude. This isn't, I don't know. I, 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 would, I wouldn't code it as that. Well, uh, I think there's a reason it's been coded that way because of the historical uh, placing, placement of colonization has made it has has made us identify it as a white savior truck because like like even in the things you're describing sounds a lot like both Avatar and Dance of the Wolves distinctly the same movie. But those are white guys. But those are white guys. So um, I think my response to Stephen is that um, to me the actual white savior trope has less to do with race and more to do with economics, technology, and uh, hubris. Um, at w- which are tenants of the trope, uh, because the the idea that you are saving well, then, it. Uh, then we're uh, talking more. Sorry to interrupt. I just had a thought. The, yeah. We're talking more that it's a colonialism trope. It's not. It's not a white savior trope at that point. Yeah. Like, like that. It, because it, intrinsic. And I'm not saying we have to call it a white savior trope, but intrinsically we're doing that, so we can't have that and not have that at the same time. Like. Colonization, I think, or colonization tropes or or problematic things having to do with colonization is a much more accurate way of describing this. Right, yeah, and I think that's a much more accurate way of describing the actual act that we're talking of. But yes. I think the reason that we've we've landed on white savior trope because it has to do with both Western colonization and the and the cinema of the West, which sure. is which is treated as you say treated um, those who are not white or Anglo-Saxon as others as without, the other w- without voices. So um, it's actually, it's a very interesting question, and I'm not even sure that I'm 100 percent correct that's my that's my gut yeah. uh but that <laughs> that has been wrong I, in, uh in both these cases i actually just i i point i i went and did some research in terms of finding books that i think could be interesting reads for these uh and the one that i found on this topic was no more heroes the grassroots challenges to the savior mentality by jordan flaherty uh which is about uh why do people of privilege end up making things worse when they try to help it's called the savior mentality and jordan flaherty <laughs> finds it in the fbi fbi informants anti-six uh, crusaders teach for america corps members and out of touch journalists uh no more hero celebrate grassroots challenges to these savers and highlights movements focused on real systemic change it's um, almost so- as if no one has everything figured out <laughs> Uh, mostly us, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, but great question. Uh, I, I think there's more to be discussed in this, and I'm sure our listeners will have opinions about this as well, so please email us in at onlymoviepodcast.gmail.com. 
Yeah, next email. This is from a longtime listener, first time caller, Zishan. Hey, buddy. Hey, Zishan. Uh, <laughs> he writes. I wanted to ask you a question about how you judge a film's commercial success. Specifically, what are some ways to understand whether a movie has succeeded at the box office? I understand that part of this is uh, comparing the budget of the movie to how much money the movie makes in theaters, and also that some of this is an expectations game. For example, a star-studded, hotly anticipated movie will need to reach a higher bar than an obscure indie to meet that bar of success. But I'm not sure how often movies are actually expected to make more than they cost. And I'd love to here's some details about how you think about it. If there are any standard sales benchmarks or analytic shortcuts you use when deciding that a movie has had an impressive run. Lastly, is there evidence that production companies are willing to take losses but hope it's worth it because critical acclaim might win their movie and thus them awards that have long-term benefits in terms of prestige? True. So we've talked about this uh, at quite some length because of uh, probably the phrase Oscar bait has come up in in this context as well. Who brings that up? Who says that name? And uh, there's a great book uh, by Edward J. Epstein, uh, which I actually did. uh, uh, Zeeshan and I do text every now and again. And I did text him this book at some point. uh, The Hollywood Economist 2.0, The the Hidden Financial Reality Behind the Movies uh, by Edward J. Epstein. It is a terrific book, which gives you insight on like basically the budget line by lines of large movies Mm -hmm. and the economic transactions that go on behind these movies which are you know as the famous running joke goes about uh hollywood accounting uh absolutely defies uh logic and gravity in a you know in every possible way um famously the person who um uh wrote uh, men in black just tweeted about the fact that despite that being a billion dollar success uh spawning not you know i think four sequels at this point uh as far as he is aware uh the accounts for that movie tell him that that movie is still in the red um uh, and and his royalty nice. checks are dependent upon it um so that is a fantastic book uh about that i i think to to sort of break down zishan's questions in a, in a couple of ways one is um to me, the metric to think about box office receipts is that it is part of the PR propaganda machine that goes uh, uh, hand in hand with uh, movies distribution. Yes. Um, the the budget, uh, the, the box office receipts have uh, have become a shorthand for the for both the. Uh, commercial success of a film, and, and, and in many ways that commercial success will translate to its distribution potential uh, in foreign countries. And then the second thing that it will do is um, generate word of mouth. Um, there's uh, we, I, I don't think we talked about Sorcerer on this show, but we were on the Test of Time podcast when we talked about mm-hmm. William Friedkin's film Sorcerer, which uh, famously came out the same year or even a couple of weeks after Star Wars came out. And uh, there's some interesting uh, interviews with William Friedkin about that time. Uh, there's a conversation around like what the blockbuster was. And Friedkin kind of said something interesting there that I remember reading uh, in our discussion about Sorcerer, which was that when Jaws came out and when Star Wars came out, a sort of revolution happened in the brains of both producers and filmmakers at the time, which was that when people went, in the way he anecdotally describes it, is when people <laughs> went to movies, you didn't go to a movie ever knowing or understanding or having any conversation about the box office of a movie. Right. You just went to the movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you were a kid, even you didn't go to a movie because you knew it had like made a shit ton of money. You went to movies that were on near you, right? That, that was or your... that you were excited about that you hunted for. Yeah, exactly. So uh, he, he talked about that, that, was, that then when the blockbuster came about and the advertising of the box office dollar, that changed the paradigm. Because in his words, if I recall correctly, he said, 
we didn't even know a movie could make that kind of money. So when Star Wars came around and, you know, stayed in theaters for, you know, ostensibly the entire year and people went over and over and over again to see it. And that generated this sort of like tidal wave of publicity where people were like starting to talk about it. And everyone's like, hey, what's this yeah. movie, Star Wars? Like the box office in itself, like mattered to an extent but like in the sort of boudriad simulacrum and simulacrum thing it eventually became divorced from the reality of the movie itself and it's just like it's a good publicity thing which is the same way that we have conversations about box office now um like for example spider-man uh, no way home i believe broke avatars record for um or we might have beat in games record or something like, you know there these these big trade publications put out this stuff because it does help the the economics of how that movie gets seen and most importantly how its distribution potential for other countries matters and i do have one more book to to pitch on this as well which is a, uh, and there's a very specific reason which i why i haven't read this book cuz it just came out a week ago uh, wow. and that is what the, a what a fucking slacker you are oh i i actually I, when i saw that this book was coming out i was like oh, i really want to read this i'm not going to have time to read it within a week but it, and the, only the hardcover version is coming out but red carpet the Ho- uh, hollywood china and the global battle for cultural supremacy by eric schwarzel um uh, came out recently and i think would lend some insight into the way that hollywood thinks about china as a global marketplace and why both economic and cultural decisions are happening in our movies in order to not placate, well, placate, uh, to, to tailor itself towards that marketplace. Oh, no, there's placation going on left and right. Whether or not we consider that bad, that's another side of the story. Right. Um, I will say, Zishan, that um, uh, box office success is a made-up metric uh, and money doubly so. I mean, I think we've proven uh, <laughs> in this great experiment of capitalism that uh, nothing is real. Uh, this isn't to say that money doesn't affect people's lives. Of course it does. But the narrative is always go- like the narrative is big number get bigger, you know, money dollar go up. And that's what the trades are going to pick up. That's what people are actually like get people talk about. This. I mean, hell, I'm I'm I work in a medium that is easily 20 to 30 percent like hot takes on movies like like uh, and like what they're making and what's happening and what's going on and is this good or not or was this a flop like uh it's 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 only helping or hurting if the hype machine makes enough people believe it's helping or hurting now you can look at too uh, the the cost of a film and what what I feel like success should be measured by the filmmaker or the production company based on their either projections or what they wanted to do with it. You bring up a very good point about prestige pieces. There are definitely movies that people know that they're not like the Power of the Dog was not uh, shot to make a bunch of money. I don't believe it was shot because people wanted to make that movie and it could probably win awards if done correctly. Like, whereas Spider-Man, while cool and people did want to make that movie, it was also built out to make a ton of fucking money and not win Best Picture. Like, people know what they're doing when they're working on this stuff. So there's definitely intent involved when we try to determine whether or not a movie is a success or failure. That metric could be based on the filmmaker, the production company, the audience, or just sheer numbers. So it's kind of different all throughout. Um... I, yeah. uh, I, I, again, I'll point to that Edward J. Epstein book uh, because there is an interesting conversation in there about the economics of a studio and particularly on the way in which a studio will fragment out its product um, and to include films that generate a lot of money and the, the, the revenue from the or the, the, 
the economic value of those movies allows them to do the slightly weirdo movies that they were more interested in. I the think, best uh, way to put it, I think, is in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back with Ben Affleck and <laughs> one, Matt Damon. One for one, one for the studio, one for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that and that is that is an interesting game because the essentially the one for us the measurement the metric uh the metric of the one for the studio is money and the metric of one for us is awards. And the, those are the two currencies that, the, that they kind of traded. Trade I, I think, interestingly, uh, the thing that I'm noticing is that um, the metric uh, for uh, the Marvel movies in terms of the, the economic trade-off that happens between, say, actors in those films for what, if, you know, if I do, if I give you 10, of, if I'm, if I'm going to contract it to be in 10 of these movies, what do I get out of it? And, yep. it's, and, and I think there's something interesting there in terms of like being able to do a passion project or something like that. What I've noticed more recently is the Disney show um, that, that many of the stars, like uh, Jeremy Renner has a, a show on Disney Plus coming out about, uh, called Renovations, uh, yep. which is about his, uh, I think he's got a history of flipping houses or something like that uh, yeah. along those lines or we're building things for, for, for people in need so there's this sort of economic trade-off which is like okay we can get Hawkeye we can get him to do 10 movies plus a show we'll give him his own show uh, yeah. Jeff Goldblum has his own show on on, um, on Disney Plus as well I, oh is it Disney? yeah and I, I'm I'm not sure but I, is Scarlett Johansson working on something? I, I'm not entirely sure uh, Jean Favreau has of course the Chef show on Netflix um, so I think there is this sort of economic trade-off that happens that way which has to do Again, if you have to think about what you know, economic incentives are for either, either group, um, one is to stay afloat and what, economically, and the other is to generate projects that actually uh, cultivate artistic interest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe the last sort of um, uh, interesting person to look at in for for this would be. Um, previous head of Sony's development uh, pl- um, portfolio was uh, Amy Pascal and her sort of interest in um, propping up uh, films like Spider-Man, you know, the, the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans in order to get uh, projects like uh, The Social Network off the ground. Um, you know, those are really good examples of uh, that that dynamic at play. And I think Amy Pascal was kind of known for really pushing these bigger blockbusters like James Bond, like Spider-Man, in order to get her, the projects that she was really interested in uh, off the ground that didn't necessarily have economic um outcomes but you know where as you might argue prestige pitches but also pitches that were here i guess maybe this is the underlying thing here uh adult pitches in some way so pitches about grown-up topics um where you know it was, it was about uh, about the complexities of human life versus the immediacy of spectacle uh, i don't know were... spider-man was pretty complex oh really so... there's a lot of the, a lot of those spider-man <laughs> A lot of Spider-Man. A lot of those Spider-Man. Occasionally, a film like Into the Spider-Verse will capture both markets really effectively, uh, or both uh, interests really effectively. So you know, look, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a crapshoot. And uh, yeah, I mean, as, and then the sort of last thing about that email is sort of our personal takes on it. I, I try to align if I determine a film as a success or a failure. If I'm using those sort of binaries, I and mean, you don't have to. Um, I will try to at least get into the mindset of the the filmmaker or the production, the studio. Like, just sort of like, what what do I think they wanted? Do I think they achieved that? And again, it's all subjective based on my opinion, but that's what I try to use as a metric. Mm-hmm. There's no like real trick other than that. I think. Um, yeah. I think I think it's you know like we talked uh, uh, a few months ago about Hudson Hawk, a movie that completely flopped, <laughs> but a movie that like both Patrick Hosmer and myself watched over and over and over and over again and like carry yeah. it with us to this day. Is that mind. a success? And then like, in my mind, know? that would be a success. So, yeah. you know, who knows? Thank you again, Zeeshan. All right. Last email. Last email here from a different Stephen. 
who says, I first saw the original, uh, the OG Matrix in the cinema and was blown away by, tic- by the technicality. It was very imp- impactful on how I shot and stage scenes from that point on. I came up with a no-budget bullet time that was surprisingly effective. Uh, I never got same kick uh, from repeat viewings on a smaller screen. And some years later, my kids covered the Matrix series as part of their school media class uh, with the intense scrutiny and repeating viewings have destroyed all the movies for me narratively. Uh, because of that, I had no intention of seeing The Matrix Resurrections, but after starting the podcast, I stopped and I had to watch the movie. Thanks. It was a bit meh for me. But I'm glad I revisited the world of The Matrix. Uh, Playground Conclusion, which is a term that we came up with on the episode, uh, is a perfect category for them. Uh, and I think this I, I'm going to like uh, go through this without saying the thing that they're, they're going to say because it's quite specific here. Uh, but... It felt to me that the mo- I was disappointed by a franchise that was once groundbreaking and so advanced technically now seemed to be clunky uh, with handling the visual storytelling basics. And Stephen goes on to explain uh, basic dynamics of, uh, of how a scene was staged and edited. Uh, they also would uh, needle drop uh, this famously, probably our most famous tweet, where um, Patrick Willems suggested that the, the needle drop at the end of The Matrix Resurrection should be Rihanna's We Fell in Love in a Hopeless Place. And somebody yep. actually did that, got retweeted a million times thank you for that um but uh steven's uh, needle drop would be the dudes walking in the light which is a new zealand band you guys should check it out i like that track. all right uh, yeah well uh, steven i'm glad you watched it i mm-hmm. do totally get you on what you're saying in the like well i really did connect and like uh matrix resurrections i understand the frustration and madness from a perception of I came to the Matrix for A, mm-hmm. and eight Matrix is no longer doing A. Like it's not the the it's not the it's not a visual effects spectacle mixed with um, mind blowing philosophy. Like it's not that right now. It's sort of like a, again. I hate I use this a lot, but it's like a snake eating its own tail. It's it's dealing with its own legacy as opposed to breaking new ground either technically or narratively. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can a hundred percent see the frustration. Although I'm glad you also did kind of like the act of revisiting, which I think is the first step. Yeah. Um, but you know, your take totally makes sense. Yeah, I think I, you know, like it's not a movie I've actually thought too much about, but it was a movie I admired more than I enjoyed, uh, which I think is probably you know like fair yeah. in terms of uh, what you want from the Matrix and what you think that you will get. That has been a, uh, an entire half hour devoted to the Oscars and. Um, uh, and, and listener emails. I'm very glad we did that. I apologize to people who've come here to listen to us talk about Asghar Fahadi and his new film. I was going to say you're welcome. <laughs> you're but, welcome. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're welcome to people who wanted us to, to talk about a hero, which we're going to do right meow. Uh, I'd like to start, Shahir, by reading the IMDb description of a hero. Okay. Uh, if if you if you'd let me. Oh, I'm. Uh, can I stop you? I, Is it I mean, you can, for me you to can stop try. You? Ah, I mean, you can talk over me, but I'll just keep repeating it. And so, also, you you are the one editing this episode, so you'll just mute me. Uh, also now. true. Uh, Raheem is in prison because of a debt he was unable to repay. During a two-day leave, he tries to convince his creditor to withdraw his complaint against the payment of part of the sum, but things don't go as planned. Oh, no, they don't. Thanks for unmuting me, by the way. Oh, no problem. Uh, (laughs) I really like this description. Okay. Uh, It it does what I want it to do. I know what the movie's (laughs) about. It also plants some seeds of of intrigue and mystery in it, and it doesn't spoil things or be too pedantic with it. I think, good job, IMDb. Good job. 
Is it, you know, what we should do is a correlation between your enjoyment of the IMDb synopsis and your enjoyment of the film and see if there's actually a pattern that forms. Why don't I outsource that to anyone who has time to do that? <laughs> um, and uh, we can go from there. That seems like a fun, that seems like a not fun project for anyone. Uh, email us in, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com with your completed Google Doc. Um, a hero, Shahir. <laughs> this movie... Pretty, pretty good. I I dug the hell out of it. Um, and it'd been a minute since I'd seen The Salesman, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but the I, I feel like the the craft has not missed a beat by any means of the imagination. I, I, I this fell into a category for me mm-hmm. where I was kind of on the edge of my seat. But I, and we've talked about this before. But the main character who. I felt for mm-hmm. Raheem. I did not like. Mm-hmm. Um. I and 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 it's funny. I I know I've sort of struggled with like, and we don't have to like a main character to know that a a film is excellent. We've discussed that before. I've I've been had hitch points here and there, um, but uh, I couldn't get over the fact that like I didn't I didn't like him. And I didn't have too much of an emotional tie to him because of it as a character. Mm-hmm. But what I did incredibly care about was all of the people in that, that his orbit was destroying. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, I, so I feel like I might have a different read maybe than a lot of people on this. Um, because I, I took different lessons away than I thought I would when the movie started. Or, or, I, or, you know, not even lessons. I learned different things about myself through watching this movie that I didn't quite know before I started it. That would, uh, be, a me- that would be a measure of success for the film, wouldn't it? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Again, I think this movie's great. Yeah. Please do not get me wrong. But that's why I said in the beginning that it's sort of like an odd way to sort of say that. Where, uh, And again, you don't have to like a main character to know a movie is excellent or, or feel that way. Um so I, I'm excited to sort of get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, I mean, technically, I, I really enjoyed it. I loved, especially in the beginning, but they do it a lot, sort of like long shots of like slice of life stuff mm-hmm. in places that I'm just not familiar with. Right. Um, uh, the, 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 and I, I knew this from various series we've done on Extra History and stuff, but I guess I didn't realize how prevalent it still was today, this whole like debtor's prison yeah. thing, um, which I know is a thing. But I guess whenever I think of debtor's prison, I think of like, like 1500s London. Like, I, and that's just my, uh, you know, small wheelhouse of knowledge. So like, it was a bit shocking to me that this was a thing and how kind of calmly it was all for the most part, like it was dealt with, like he's going in and talking to the warden and like figuring stuff out and like, oh, well, let's do this thing. And you could ask him to forgive you. Like, it's this whole like, like. It, it all felt like a buddy system, like, got to go back to jail now. Like, it was just, it was it was so interesting to see that world and and uh, surprising for me because due to my own ignorance, I hadn't kept up that that was still a thing going on, you know? Right. right. Um, yeah. What about you, Shir? Talk to me. Uh, so we, yes, the last time we did an Asghar Fahadi film was uh, A Salesman. Uh, I, I think on that episode, I tried to convey how much Asghar Fahadi is probably one of my favorite working filmmakers of 
like right now. I just think he's so good at this. Uh, since we did a salesman, a funny thing happened. A funny thing happened to me on the way to a salesman, um, which is that uh, a cup. I think it was a couple of years ago. Now it was before the, it was pre-pandemic. Um, but a friend of mine, uh, uh, Asghar Fahadi's last film, Everybody Knows, starring Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz, uh, came out. Uh, of course, as well, uh, a salesman was actually one uh, best uh, best uh, foreign film uh, at the Oscars uh, that year. And remembering that Asghar Fahadi famously was not able to attend because of Trump's uh, ludicrous yep. um, uh, travel ban that was imposed uh, very suddenly. And Fahadi himself, I said, uh, I think uh, was potentially allowed to come, uh, but uh, opted not to in not in protest, but to but to suggest that it was not un- it was unfair that his country was being uh, unduly targeted. And just remembering that period is annoying for me because of the, the, the sort of the scale of stupidity that we were dealing with. Yeah. Um, you know, and we still do on a, on a uh, day-to-day basis. But uh, as I was saying, Fahadi uh, had another film, uh, Everybody Knows, which came up between then. I, uh, someone, a friend of a friend of a friend said, hey, did you know Fahadi is running a director's workshop in Spain uh, as part of this film festival? Um, and I know a couple of people there. Would you be interested in applying to go? And I was like, well, sure. What do I have to do? And they, they said, uh, they gave me some stuff to fill out. I filled it out and they came back and they were like, hey, you got in. Huh. And so I got invited to uh, a director's workshop that Fahadi was going to run for a week where he was actually going to be teaching film, uh, film st- uh, studies uh, or f- film directing in Spain, in uh, San Sebastian. And wow. my, my right. biggest annoying thing was that I couldn't go. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't go. And it was like, I, I like... In any ordinary circumstance, that is probably one of the things I would... I, I'm going to regret not having done that uh, mm. for my entire life. And watching a hero solidified why that was the case. Because I love this movie so oh. much. Um, he is... He, he, I, I watched it with this kind of like excitement. Because to begin with, it has got this... You, you know, like he's not a he's not a visual uh, esthete. You know, like he's not he's not there to design the most sure. beautiful sun kissed shots in the world. He is a yeah, yeah. he is a you know in a way from the sort of uh, you know not directly but in the in the Mike Lee mold of filmmaking, which is that it's it's very much slice of life kitchen sink kind of dramas. Uh, these films are beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but they are built around people, not environments, not. Uh, not the cinematography, sure. um, but I watched it. With, you know, so 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 to say that at the beginning of the film was a little clunky. You know, there's a little bit, there's a little flatness to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but man, was I engrossed by this, and I and I think the quality of Fahadi um, that is remarkable across all of his films um, is the idea that he will extrapolate every consequence of a lie to its absolute worst potential. Um, it, which is the, the case in The Salesman, is the case in A Separation. Uh, one of my favorite films about Ellie, uh, the case in that, Fireworks Tuesday as well. Uh, Firework Wednesday, whatever the day was. Right. <laughs> um, you know, the, uh, the idea that, the, that what Fahadi is so good at is like figuring out exactly what the pressure points are in any lie. And the lie, what I love about Fahadi is the lie could be the most innocuous thing. It could be in, in the case of about Ali, it's literally they, uh, the, these, this family turns up to this holiday home and they say they've got one more person with them or something like that in order to get a better house, you know, like it, it's, it's an innocuous lie, but it turns out that that like extrapolates out into the worst possible scenario. And in the case of a hero, 
there's this sort of cascading effect of little untruths that eventually get built up moment by moment into this like absolutely riveting portrait of this man who is just falling apart. And and the thing that really got me that was like making me anxious as I was watching him is this dude just cannot catch a break. You know, like he'll do one dumb thing, then one smart thing, and and one like, you know, there's, with, with every action that he takes, there's an air of sometimes nobility within it. And that nobility will get exploited, trampled on, destroyed to reveal like this ugly, the underside of it, which was that it was self-serving. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, like, Fahadi is just so good at like just adding moment after moment after moment that makes you question what like where we actually began, you know, like where the lie began and where the truth started as well. Like what was the truth of the situation? Um, we, we should get into the details of it, but I think there is not a more anxious time than watching this movie in terms of like watching someone do things that you know on the surface are like silly things to do and having them but but kind of for me i think you know that question you're asking about like whether we like a character or not yeah i I sort of just play it from like am i engaged with the character like i i I don't like i think some of my favorite characters are the worst people on on the planet they're the most awful people but am i engaged in understanding the way that they think and and in this case, the, this person I don't believe is one of the worst people in the world. Like, I, comparison would be no. I just get I just get mad at selfish people. I get mad at, at I get mad at um, at people that don't think of the consequences of their own actions, or or that don't think even a step ahead. But and does morality and, play into that? Like, could a person who's really aware of the consequences of their action, but like murder people? So, so that's I, I go back and forth, and I will say this is something that I have shifted perspectives on throughout my life back and forth a bunch. I land on right. I always go, what's more evil? The person who does the evil act and is like, ha ha, I know this is evil. Fuck you. Or the person that does not think about you at all and tramples over you in their thing. Like, even if it let's let's keep it simple. Someone who actively murders a person or someone whose ignorance murders a person. Right. But, there's but, there's 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 things there where like well you could say like oh the intent of the murder is the worst thing so that means that the person who wanted to murder someone is more evil I could get behind that then let's take something else that's sort of like what what Raheem does in this film which is like oh I'll just like sprinkle this little white lie a little bit more to make this more compelling or like whatever um, and then that even though he didn't have to do that even though he is, is sort of like own hubris is the thing that made him do it. Uh, you Wait, know and, that and, is, and, and in, the, in that example that you give me, are you suggesting that that Raheem's actions are worse than a murderer's? No, not at all. I, the murder thing is a different scenario. Yeah. I was using that as like the oh, I could see where I would think that the person who was doing it on purpose would be more evil. Wherein in this in this case, um, like if he was think if he was doing these things like hey, hey I'm getting one over on everybody because I'm so small like whatever yeah. I, I don't care who I hurt right yeah that is actually I think kind of less evil than just not thinking of other people huh. like he is he is only thinking of himself to the point where he Wait, makes so that is his, what you're hold saying, on like, he that, ma- that, no 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 I'm, the, the situation separate the situations yeah. they are different like when no, no, you bring no, I up get it but but are, but you're saying if he knew what he was doing 
that would be less evil than not knowing what he was doing. Yes, if we're not talking about murders. Yeah, like even in this yeah, situation, I'm talking about talking this about particular right situation. Yeah, yeah, huh? Because I'm not because sure what, I get on board with that. Check like, this out. I'm, check I'm, this out. Check this out. I, I'm trying I, to follow I, the logic train. Here. I know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you, and you don't have to agree with it, but I at least want to see if you can see the logic of where I'm coming from. Okay. okay? If I do something to hurt you, I uh, steal a job or do something, or I'm manipulative and I I wrong you in a way. Right. This is where I'm coming from. I've thought about you. You are a person, or at the very least, an obstacle in my way, and have value and 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 a sort of you you exist in the world that I inhabit, and therefore, intrinsically, there is a value placed upon you, right? Right. Whereas, if I just like don't think about you and I go forth and do something that inadvertently hurts you. But it, I'm not, I, I'm not, and I know you're there, but like, I just don't give a shit. But then, um. then, then, then I'm not valuing you as a part of the equation at all. Like you mean nothing. And I think we should, I think overall we should be more considerate of, of other people. I, 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 I think <laughs> I and have I go so many questions this about this I, because, because I think yeah, what, let's what we'll get into is subcategories of like neglect. Um, and, and Ooh. I think the problem is, is if we go and down please. this road, of we course. will go, and, we will go so far away from the movie and let itself. Me, let me, let me move <laughs> back to the film. So we yeah. don't have to do that. Okay. Yeah. Um, th these things often when dealing either with a character in a story or a real person in real life, I, I am huge on precedent and 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 the way a person or character conducts themselves overall. Everyone fucks up, you know. I, I, Lord knows I have. Like th there are there are. It's not just like oh this person didn't think of this one person one time and they're the most evil person on the fucking planet. Like that's not how it works. And I don't think an evil might be even the wrong word. I don't <laughs> think Raheem is evil. I think Raheem is selfish. I think I, maybe maybe this is the verbiage. Okay. I think right now in my life. I'm more angry at selfish than I am evil. Okay, uh, that I, I can I can see that. I guess maybe the thing I w would ask, but it also doesn't matter for this film because it's great. Like I don't want to derail too much. I'm no, happy to talk about it, but like, well, the thing I would ask, as it relates to this film, is I don't think, I don't think the film is asking you to make a judgment. And I don't think you have to make a judgment. You don't. I in did. order to engage with the film or you even care about you, the characters. You don't. I did. Yeah. I when I watch a film, I my brain is like who I'm rooting for, who I'm not. Whether right. I want it to or not, that's just how my brain functions when it comes to storytelling. Right. And all I wanted was for his extended family to be okay, his brother-in-law who was trying to help him out with stuff, even the dude who like it was so strange. I started feeling bad for the debtor guy. Of like, course you felt bad for the Ditta guy, because the Ditta guy, the Ditta makes a compelling argument for why we should not um, celebrate this man's actions. But like, like yeah, he makes, and like the, the, he makes the, it you, personal. I, He's I, not, yeah. He, I would he, say 100% that is a that is a, uh, uh, a result of intent here. Oh, you yeah, are supposed again, to acknowledge so the Ditta's point of view in this. Please do not take my, like, <laughs> 
statement of these things that the movie is making a mistake or didn't mean to do this. The movie meant to do absolutely everything, and that's why it's good. Right. I always am. I always really like engaging with these kind of movies where I disagree on a moral perspective with someone who is supposed to be the main character and still love the film. Like there's, and I know that that's possible because it happens to me. Yeah. I'm just always so shocked and pleasantly surprised when it does because there's two parts of my brain that are fighting. Right. And it's kind of interesting for me. I mean, like, I, I just, I, because I just want to say, I, I think the beauty of film and literature and the arts is that you don't, and I, look, I, I will say this. I know that the paradigm, it's not even the paradigm, the paradigm of popular <laughs> Western cinema yep. is based upon good guy, identification guy. of good versus evil. Mm-hmm. And, the movies are supposed to send you away with a sense that good has triumphed over evil, or if evil has triumphed over good, that there is a uh, a lesson to be learned in that uh, in that usurping, uh, usurping of the good. Nailing it, nailing it. But I don't think that that is what is inherently interesting about cinema, filmmaking, literature, painting, the arts, poetry. I think the interesting thing is is kind of what this film gets into and what Fahadi gets into with all of his films is the idea that this is the reality of the world is far more complex and nuanced than good versus evil and Correct. and and i don't think he's even trying to make that argument i just think he's that not. The, the world he is interested in is far more is far more nuanced than good versus evil right versus wrong um selfishness versus neglect like I think it's just his world is filled with characters who are trying on a day-to-day basis. Like like I think the thing with Rahim that's really interesting is he is at the very beginning of the film um both as a visual metaphor he is climbing like he is like Sisyphus in this film which is he is climbing an impossible ladder. And the visual metaphor at the very beginning of the film is him climbing this long set of stairs to mm-hmm. get to this point and then eventually just having to come back down it again. And you know yeah. like I think that's just a beautiful visual metaphor for what he's trying to do which is that It really is. The the other tragedy of this is is that and this is a very privileged position is I think I heard someone else uh, had done uh, like just figured out the currency translation here and we're talking really about $3000 I think at most uh, maybe even less than that in terms of the amount of money that's owed and the, the amount of money that's required Sure but that uh, doesn't matter. It I doesn't mean... matter but I'm just saying like this is a real point of privilege that we're saying from the western world where or from from the US currency where $3000 doesn't seem like a lot but for but for for this character three thousand dollars um has meant he is going to jail yeah i don't think that i don't think that plays into this movie at all like i I don't think that matters i don't i think that's a bad sort of faith argument or kind of just from a place of privilege like wherever that is what i said it's a no i know like i just i don't i don't think that plays into the the thing at all though because of that right like that's just like i'm just making that observation that 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 we're not talking about a person who is like uh, laundered away, um, you know, uh, 10 lifetimes worth of savings to pay for a house or something like that. Um, yeah, but it, I'm saying it doesn't matter. His situation is what matters. His situation like, is what matters. He is yeah. stuck. He is, he is literally stuck. And, and he is, he has opportunities to try and unstick himself. And he is continually, and he fucks it up. He, well, he's continually like, I mean, the, the and, hu- and in a hubris sort of way. And that's not to say that, let me say this. Sorry. He doesn't as a character, He's not just the only one fucking up. Everyone, everything around him, like this is the the thing that I was watching was like he just can't catch a break. Even the point which uh, he he is awarded 
Um, so, uh, okay, so we should really go through this because we've been talking about morality and, and de- but the, the devil here go is in the details because Mahadi is very good at the details here. So, uh, Rahim and his wife, or no, no, sorry, sorry, Rahim and a woman who he has met who he intends to marry, yes. but uh, has a sort of private relationship with, she has found a handbag uh, that has, uh, uh, I think, 17 gold coins in it, yes. which would, if traded, pay for half of his debt mm-hmm. um and when he goes to a jeweler to find out the value of that trade the he realizes it's far less than he anticipated yep so uh he, he at first he calls his debtor the person who has essentially agreed to have him put in prison because of the debt that he owes him and asked to have his debt forgiven when the debtor disagrees Rahim and his partner, uh, Ms. Radma, I, I believe it is, mm-hmm. um, decide to return the money or return the bag. And when he returns the bag, the woman who receives the return <laughs> calls the prison warden that he is uh, at the data's prison that he is at. Because he put and, up signs with the number on the... Yeah. Th- like, there's so many tiny things that, like, things he should do, yes. things he shouldn't do, things that get things caught. We, People like, getting pieces of information. He even shouldn't have the number for the prison warden. Right. Like, he and, got like, that from go, somebody else who's in trouble for giving it to who him. Who shouldn't do it. Like, and so that's... that's We don't even need to go further than that in the details, details. What you I need to know... I the details are important here. No, that, that's what I was going to say. The details are important. Every yeah. little thing that happens between him and another character has a bit of a thing, much like in real life, where if you don't think ahead, little tiny things can can, can stack up and snowball and etc. But but like, also there's this underlying sense of like, um, I, I, like, uh, I, I I'm trying to think how to phrase it, how to rightly phrase this, which is that I know this from being. Uh, an Indian man in terms of how our culture relates to the sense of pride and like what mm. it means to like uh, embarrass yourself in front of other people and how important your public standing is, you know, like uh, how important. So little details like the fact that he agrees, you know, like his the, the, the woman that he wants to marry doesn't want to come forward um, because they they haven't decided if they're getting married at this stage, and he is a divorced man. So he is also trying to like protect her somewhat. When the warden says, "Oh, okay, if she doesn't want to come forward, you can just take you know just tell everyone that you did it." And so he's kind of like going, "Okay, yeah, I think that that probably makes sense because we want to keep, uh, we want to you know like I understand." Yep, but then he takes it further he, than the well, warden he, suggests. Yeah, he becomes he goes on television and, and like goes to where a, he reenacts where he found the bag, where he, he air it. quotes found the bag, even though he didn't he didn't have to do that he keeps making up examples or exacerbating the story when uh he's in front of like the charity thing he's like and then i went to the jeweler and you know the, the his his cash register didn't work and his pen didn't work and then that's how i knew that god told me to give the like he's he's playing it up more and more no one's asking him to at that point But some of these things did happen like they they were at the jeweler and the pin didn't work and the calculator didn't work right no. No, it did happen. He was at the jeweler, and that happened. Did and, it? Yeah, it really did. Like, the, the, the jeweler was trying to write and couldn't write. And, I gotta and rewatch the, that. But, but, the, but there's, like, this sort of sickened part to it, which was, like, the money was also less than he was anticipating. But it did happen. I guess that's and, where I gravitate And And, that, and this is the thing, as well, is, is that the woman who comes to collect the money also says very specifically, I can't let my husband know about this money because he will just go and smoke it. You know, like, he will steal it, and he will use it for drugs. Like, she comes from a, a place where the people in her lives are drug abuse. And so she is also like, and then she mysteriously vanishes. Or does she? And and I think 
the, the thing is, is that there are like little truths and little lies within everything he does. Like the warden, you know, says, oh, it's okay to kind of tell this lie because it's not a big deal. Because for the warden's sake, it's good if some if they get a little bit of publicity yeah. for rehabilitating this prisoner. Same with the charity. Um, so and later on, a charity finds out about this story and then agrees to raise money for him. And they do so in good faith until they find out the true story. And then they have to decide who they're going to give the money to. Um, and, and, and their entire thing to, is they like, don't want to look bad. And um, the great thing about that is how that, I don't even want to give that away just in case people haven't watched this yet. Like oh, we're, in most, spoil, we're in spoiler town. I know, yeah. but like in, in the, in the, and the most moving thing is the woman who he's going to marry kind of basically saves his, uh, his honor or his, I don't know how to sort of put it in, in sort of a proposition to that charity. Yeah. And I, I, she was fucking great. What else has she been in? Uh, I, 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 I'll be honest with you. I, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm sort of familiar with the, the big names in Iranian cinema, but the, the little details I'm not so familiar with, oh, uh, but so good. It, the performances across the board are astounding in all yeah. of this. And, and I, I, I think, okay. So the interesting thing here to me is that the little details of Rahim's story are built on a kernel of truth and built on a kernel of honor. And then within that kernel of honor, there is like a little fabric of untruth that that what I love, again, as a writer, is Fahari exploits that little kernel of untruth into the worst possible scenario. So the little bit that's untrue becomes found out by everybody and and becomes the story. And I will say, sort of uh, playing off of and slightly modifying some takes I had before, like I didn't realize that the calculator and the pen actually didn't work. So I gravitated towards him just making stuff up to make the things sound better because I didn't like that he was toting his son around holding a plaque or like, you know, and he starts using his son because of his son's stutter, but then like he starts feeling bad about it at the end. Like it's a lot of- is also excited. Like I think the worst part is like at one point they're going to run the story and his son was excited to be on television and then his son comes in and it didn't go and he's like, he's devastated, right? The kid is like really upset. So there's so many sides to it. You can kind of pick the side that you gravitate towards a more uh, based around your moral compass, which uh, I did. D- like, yeah, I, I can see how you could do that. I think it's interesting just to watch it play out in terms of like, sure, watching people, it from a writer's people, point of view, or well, like, just well, I watching know, it from but like, like, there are these characters all trying to do somewhat the right thing with occasional little little untruths that get exploded. But my point is, and I think what we do very well on this podcast is explore the different ways that people can engage with a piece of cinema. Right. And I did a very different thing than you did. There's no correct way to experience this or read it or whatever, but I like the fact that this movie is able to ride all those lines and, and play with, with, not only the expectation, but the experiences that you and I had, which feel like they or they sound like they were quite different. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. And I, and I think the thing that was interesting to me was just like watching it going, man, this dude, like the, the worst one was the investigator of the job that he has been offered. That guy sucked. That guy was like, I was like, that dude is the worst yeah. because he just will not let it go. And even the taxi driver comes in. So the taxi driver who drove the woman around, who Rahim then goes and finds in order to try and find the woman, turns out to be someone who has also been in prison and agrees to help Rahim. Rahim in order and and seems to have this understanding of what's going on and the taxi 
at one point, <laughs> the 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 Rahim decides to bring in his fiance or the, or the woman he's with in order to lie about her being. And that is a point where I was like, oh, this is judging by everything that has happened to you in this movie, this ain't gonna end well and for you, buddy. And they all lived happily ever after. The yeah. entire family lies at that point. And I'm just like, guys, come the fuck on. The taxi driver just—he's the one who says it the most succinctly. He was like. What's it to you? Can't you just let this go? You know, like he says it to the guys, can you just not let this go? And I was like right there with him. I was like, you just, please just let this go because like everything is crumbling and cascading around him in such a profoundly, like profoundly devastating way where you can just see the one shitty situation, the shitty situation he's in is just getting worse and worse and worse by every second. And then like, so I watched this early in the week, and uh, I think I actually watched it last week. And then since that point, I've had a, a horrendously shitty week. Oh, uh, me too. Yeah, I've just had like the the shittiest of weeks, and and like you know, again, not not the, it's not a violin playing for me or anything. Like you know, comparatively no, shitty. It weeks happens in terms of like things I wanted didn't go my way. I call know? it like a thousand paper cuts. It's yeah, not like paper, you're not, it's not stopping you. It's just like oh, oh come yeah, on. Yeah, you're having to solve problems that you weren't anticipating ever being problems. Yeah. Um, I was in a car accident this week. Uh, really? Had, yeah, I was in a car accident on the freeway. Way, which uh, might you know like having to deal with that um and, i assume and everyone's fine everyone's fine but you know I like feel like i would have heard about it if that was... there were fire engines um you Whoa. know yeah, the, the, the traffic was stopped you know like it was it was a deal oh, i'm um, sorry uh you know I, we had financial issues that that propped up uh that we weren't anticipating like again all stuff we can navigate and deal with uh plus creative projects i was working with were all starting to fall apart and it was just like and i remember um in is it Magn- in Magnolia, Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia? There is like a musical interlude in that film uh, where all the characters just start singing to camera. And the last line of the song, it's an Amy Mann song, but the last line is this little kid. And, you know, like the, the song is go, uh, the song goes something along the lines of, uh, it's not what you thought when you first began it. Um, you know, um, and then the last line is, so just give up. And I was yeah. like, that, that line has always stayed with me. I like, I, there's just this moment where like, cause that movie is again, all these characters crashing into each other and like trying to fight the wave that they're all being pushed into. And like this one character just goes, just give up. And the end of this movie, when Raheem shaves his beard, cuts his hair and just gives up, just like, there was just something about it that like, was so in the horrendously shitty week that I was having, like I would find myself at the end of day, like normally at the end of a day, after I finished all my work, I will spend like one or two hours kind of hustling on things that I really want, you know, like projects that I really want to do, or I'll spend some time writing or I'll, you know, like be thinking about things that I really, really want to do. And for the last two weeks, I have just collapsed into bed like early and just said, I, and just had I, I just had nothing left to give, you know. Like yeah. I had nothing. I, I if you said I've got this really pressing thing, I was like, I, I'm. It happens. I got nothing left to give. Yeah. And and I think what's beautiful about uh, Fahadi's take on it is that he, you know, there there is a Sisyphean quality to what Rahim is up against here, which is that there is no scenario in which he does the right thing or in which like the cards fall in his direction. And at the end, he just kind of gives into it. And that might be 
pessimistic, nihilistic, you know, like it might be like the, the sort of anti-Western uh, approach to fight until you win kind of thing. But I found it really beautiful and touching. And, you know, that final shot of this movie where, where he, see, you know, like he is basically entering the debtor's prison while another, an elderly man is leaving it. Um, you know, really just touching and beautiful. And it's like, it's sad, but in that way that like, you go, yeah, the world is sad, you know, kind of thing. And that's what I, sure. I, I just, there was something about this that just really spoke to me this week or even the last couple of weeks. And I was just like, there's such a, like a human quality to like this, which is like acknowledging the suffering that we're all under at all times. And sometimes you're just like, I don't get it, man. Like, I, I don't get what the world is or I don't get what my place in the world is. Or I don't get how the world works, you know, like, and I, I can imagine Raheem just kind of looking at the scenario where he's like, there was an out. He had this sort of little out and it, it's, it's just not going to go his way. No matter how hard he tries, how hard he pushes up against it, this is nothing that's going to work for him. Um, I don't yeah. know. Maybe that's, that's pessimistic to think about, but I was just like, I dug it, man. No, I, I, I dug it too. I, um, I, I, I feel like I, um, just on a gut check, just came down, like, you know, and it's, and I, you know, uh, it's, it's, how do I put this? It's super easy as a viewer to Monday morning quarterback, see, football reference, I, by the time this comes out, the Super Bowl will have been, uh, it'll be on right now. Okay. Who's winning? What's going on? Um, I don't even know who's playing. Um, so a, a, but a great, a, a superb owl is really stealing the show. <laughs> um, I came down on on sort of on, on a judgment and a judgmental way, because in a, in a in a sort of like looking at a series, a cacophony of mistakes, it's easy to be like, well, just don't fucking do that, you dumb shit. Like that, it's that weird, like vindictive, like lizard brain. Like, well, that's stupid. I wouldn't do that. M murderer coming in your house. I wouldn't run up the stairs. Like, there's that sort of thing that I get caught on quite a bit. But you are right, here. Like, there is a, um, like, what I really here's what I really liked about the movie, despite the fact that I did have that sort of visceral reaction. This movie. You are always in the moment. Mm, yeah. Like you you think about it after the fact and maybe get a little judgy like I did. Um, but you when it's when you're experiencing it, when you're going through the story with Raheem, everything in that moment is a like, oh, oh no. Like it's it's all happening right then. I know, like, of course, chronologically you're witnessing in the thing, but like everything feels so present. It, there's, there's there's almost a comedy to it at points. Like there's right. like there's a moment where like he whacks his head on a door as he's coming out, and I just burst out laughing because yeah, I was like, just like, it just can't get any worse for this guy. Oh yeah, we've all had the day where like things are going terribly wrong, and then you like slam your foot or your elbow or some shit. Yeah. And you're like, oh yeah, of course this too. Yeah, cool. Yeah. There was, there was just like I just found it very funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, Man, fuck that guy at that job interview thing. But also, <laughs> I feel bad for the debtor person in the family, and I feel bad yeah. for the anyway. Anyway, th this movie, this is my final thoughts, is excellent. You should go watch it, because it gets... I, I, and I would be curious, write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com, where you fell on the spectrum of when you did watch this movie. Did you feel more uh, like... Um, you know, basically, were you judgy or not? <laughs> like, 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 uh, it doesn't matter which way you were judging. I'm just curious if you were judgy. Um, 
and how how you experienced this movie because apparently she and I did very different things, uh, different experiences. Though I have been enjoying sort of talking through it because I love I love figuring out why I have gut visceral reactions to things. Right, right. Um, and that's super fun. That's something about cinema that I really like. In and what I love about doing this podcast is I come and I'm like, I got a thing, and then I'm like, Oh, why do I have that thing? <laughs> well, uh, I, I, and, like, and then we I talk about it like, for an hour. I, I don't mean to like. You know, like the the paradigm of cinema is good versus evil in many cases, and that approach is correct to like, you know, be is on it? one side or. But but I but I think it's like I I think this film in particular is interesting because I am am more sort of interested in the way in which like every little detail matters, sure. every little detail about the story. It's like it's the. The the how he got the phone number, the fact that he put the phone number up, who gave him the phone number, how much money was in those coins, who do those coins belong to, what happened to the woman, like you know, like the photocopy shop, it all matters. And my thing is, because it all matters, there are choices that could have been made very easily to be more careful about things. The, and and I, but that's just how that's just a weird that's just a weird thing about sort of living. And again, we're. we're I don't want to. I'm not interested in debating. Yeah, j- working against like what I think of the character and what I think of the film. I just wanted to mention it because that's well, just well, sort of I think where the, I landed. The, the thing there that I think what's what's an an amazing invitation here has to do with the point of view that you're watching it from, which sure. is that you know my knowledge of Iranian day to day culture is very limited. It's same. only through the hard movies. same. <laughs> only through the movies. So my understanding of what happens has to do with like a my understanding of the universal universality of the human experience uh-huh. and also the viewing of experiences that i don't understand from the point of view of an observer who's going okay i don't really understand a deadest prison or uh, how one gets into a deadest prison or why like for example for the debtor um why you like there's a moment where he says it and that's the moment when i got it mm-hmm. which is that he sold his daughter's dowry Yep. You know, he had to sell his daughter's dowry, and his da- his daughter is the one that works with him. And for him, that is a very shameful thing, because I've seen that in my culture. You know, like, it's not the dowry, but the money that a father saves for his daughter's wedding. Sure. Um, and if to, to lose, you know, like, for some for some Indian cultures, that, that money is the most important thing a father can do, is to save that money. And mm-hmm. so for this father to lose that money or to have it taken away from him is, is not only the most shameful, but the thing that, like, you know, he gets angry when everyone starts celebrating what good this person, what good Raheem did right. by and returning these coins. And he's like, what the fuck? It's discounting the bad that was done yeah. to him. By Why Raheem? are we yeah. celebrating him doing the right thing? Every day people do the right thing and we don't, you know, like it was a really good speech. It was a really terrific speech. And you like got it. And I was, I think I just I, I love the sort of tapestry that that um, Fahadi paints. I talked about this with uh, Noah Baumbach as well, is that Fahadi, again, why I think he's one of he's, he is without a doubt one of the greatest writers of tele, uh, of, of film, um, I, I think, ever, uh, is that he writes drama like it's an action movie you know like like yeah. it, everything yeah. is like escalating and cascading and it's got that sort of like that sort of uh tenor of an action movie and no Bombach has that same quality as well where like things are just constantly moving and like before it's like imagine being on a battlefield and then like a bullet comes out of like 
the wrong direction. That's like kind of how Fahadi's films works, where like suddenly this guy, you know, like the, the woman has disappeared, and you're like, what? Well, how the fuck did that happen? Like, if we just found the woman, you could solve this problem. Right. Um, so I I love that 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 every angle matters, and 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 that's how he writes. And like that got me excited about a project I was writing, which I have like lost all motivation for. But it was like, oh yeah. I used to think that the thing that I needed to write was like big events, but like, no, what I need to do is examine the events that are actually happening and extrapolate out all the little details that could possibly go wrong with those. And it's like, he's just so good at this. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing. We get to watch a Fahadi film, you know, like as if you have Amazon prime, if you've paid Jeff Bezos some money, you can get back a little bit of your honor by watching uh, a hero, um, uh, which is streaming on Amazon Prime. It's so good. And it's by one of the greatest film writers of our time, or filmmakers of, of our time. And it's, it's, I actually, to be honest with you, I enjoyed this so much more than A Salesman. I, I actually, Salesman was kind of like a little bit, um, not esoteric, but a little bit, um, structural for my taste in terms of sure. the way it used the Henry Miller, uh, the, the Miller play, um, uh, in death of a salesman in there. Was that, is that Henry Miller? I could be wrong about that. I yeah. Think, like my playwriting experience is pretty, pretty <laughs> poor. but, but this was just so immediate. It's all the things that I love about what he does as a writer. Um, I'm forever, going to regret not spending like not getting to meet him and like actually yeah. like just learn from him for a week um i think that i i think i have uh i have lost a great opportunity uh even though the situation was really i could not go and it wasn't like a work thing it was a family thing it was like a timing thing uh it had to do with like organizing uh the way our family would exist uh yeah. in order to go and it was just like i just it just couldn't work um so i'm i'm you know th there were reasons i couldn't go but i have you know i feel very much like i missed on i missed out on a huge opportunity but i still get sure. to watch his movies uh which yeah. i think are incredible well everybody this has been the only podcast about a hero shahir when you are busy being my hero baby <laughs> Where can folks find you? Is that Enrique Iglesias? It was. Did, now, does he say You're a supposed song to say you can take you can find me taking away the pain at Wait, cuz I I am just I've watched Encanto a few times this week oh, <laughs> cuz my son did he sing a song in Encanto? I don't. know. Write me know. in with all your Enrique Iglesias trivia at at uh, at com. It's H A H I R D A U D D A U D D A U D D D A Did I say D A U D D? Sure. I did say D-A-U-D-D. -D. I Maybe. am turning into my six-year-old child, and I don't know how to spell my own name. Shahir Dowd, S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com, uh, which has life to all my links and works. Uh, Matt, when you are finding the moral high ground for, why, for which to watch a film, uh, where can people find you? You can find me standing by you forever. Okay, that's where uh, we're going with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and, and uh, admitting that... This film took my breath away at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z, on Instagram or PSN, which, by the way, in two weeks, you will only be able to find me there because Elden Ring is coming out, and holy shit, I am pumped. Also, Emperor MSK on Twitter and uh, Skeletor for Press on uh, Instagram. Um, uh, oh, check out the good works we're doing on Extra Credits. I believe by the time this comes out, we will have released our episode on A Midsummer Night's Dream nice. uh, that I first experienced actually in Shakespeare in the Park, which was really, really cool. And we'll be in the middle of our Empire of Brazil series. 
God, please watch that. It is such a fucking interesting point in history. It, it spans, we're, we're, our series only spans uh, a lifetime, basically, like 68 years, but so much changed in Brazil in that time. Like, just watch it. It's so fucking interesting. Um, yeah, next week. Maybe we gotta, we'll review seven films. No, no, we're not we doing that next week. We're not doing that but, next week. But we do have to do our best of year list, and we got to find out when to do that. Again, write us in on the movie podcast. Yeah, I have um, I have uh, testimonials like I normally do from Just, from from the White Elephant from like oh, a bunch of like from a bunch of famous YouTubers too. Like I have them already for the yeah. everyone's favorite things of 2021. They're in the tank. Wow. I also have a review of Encanto from my son. Uh, which I which we recorded and I have sitting on a hard drive. I just have not cut it down because he does. You know, look. You think I ramble? Wait till you hear my six year old. Uh, I, I he's mean, got, I, he's I, got stories to tell. I have heard the stories. <laughs> he's got good. opinions. Uh, um, yeah. Well, uh, next week. Uh, when here's a question, everybody. When does the Batman come out? <laughs> oh, it's not like March or something. Is it? Like I, I know their ad campaign just yeah March fourth their ad campaign just kicked into high gear like it's fucking everywhere right um uh, uh look I'm a big Batman fan like I you know I'm like, a big I, Robert Pattinson fan there you go uh, so do, am I excited to see Batman I I like I want to go see it um that's about it you know like I yeah I'll see it sure. when I see, you know, I'll see it when I see it I still have hey. not seen the Spider Man. Uh, <laughs> Still not seen the Spider Man. The Spider Man. Don't know. Don't know much about the Spider Man. Yeah. Well, but you know what you like. Yeah. Um, all right, everybody. We'll be back with another film next week. Maybe. We know we will. Yeah. Maybe we will. Maybe we will. Bye. Bye. Bye.